From NBC5 and the Dallas Morning News, this is the Lone Star Politics Podcast. I'm Chris Blake. All eyes in Texas last week were on the state capitol in Austin, where lawmakers held hearings Thursday and Friday into the power outages that left millions of Texans in the dark and without heat while temperatures dropped below zero. This week, Julie Fine and Gromer Jeffers talked to State Senator Kelly Hancock, who chairs the Senate Business and Commerce Committee. NBC5 investigates Scott Friedman, who was in Austin covering the hearings, and Fort Worth Mayor Betsy Price, who just delivered her final State of the City address. ERCOT, an acronym for the Electric Reliability Council of Texas, now recognized nationwide after the outages in Texas, has had a tumultuous week. Last Tuesday, four of its board members, including the chairwoman and vice chairman, resigned, effective before the hearings even began at the state legislature. All four people who stepped aside did not live in Texas. A fifth board member resigned the next day, and another candidate withdrew from consideration for an open board spot. In a meeting Wednesday, ERCOT president and CEO Bill Magnus revealed to board members that the state was less than five minutes away from a power grid failure that could have taken months to get back online. Also Wednesday, Texas Governor Greg Abbott delivered a brief statewide address in which he promised action to prevent a repeat of the power crisis. And all of that was before the hearings. On the House side of the legislature, there was a joint hearing of the State Affairs and Energy Resources Committees, while on the Senate side, the hearings were conducted by the Business and Commerce Committee, of which Hancock is the chair. The Republican from North Richland Hills represents the state's 9th Senate District, which includes a large swath of Northeast Tarrant County and parts of Southwest Dallas County. Thanks so much for being here, Senator. Yeah, good morning. What do you think is the most important thing that came out of these really marathon hearings? I mean, really, really the most important things are the, the lives that were lost. Uh, there's no greater value than that. Uh, the homes and the devastation that occurred all across the state. And I think the, the thing that touches me the most is, you know, this is an effort that uh, is not partisan. It is the Senate working as a whole to address these issues and make sure this never happens again. We saw in the hearing a lot between ERCOT and the PUC. A lot of, you did this, you did that. How do you really figure it all out at this point? But, you know, that's kind of what the process was. I mean, that was one of the things, Julie, from before the storm was over. And in fact, before the storm began, uh, I, I was working in this area just learning what's going on. And, and so knowing that, that we would eventually be at this point, uh, I, I backed away and, and really just started trying to learn as many facts as I could, avoided the pointing of the fingers that happened so many times in politics. And so what I wanted to do was just kind of clear my mind of everything and focus in on the facts, uh, making sure we got a good cross section of uh, everything uh, top to bottom of of what was involved. And I think what we're finding out is um, where errors made, it certainly looks that way, but also there was a cascading effect that rippled through the entire supply chain, all the way from the wellhead, literally to uh, homes. Senator, in 2011, there was a, a similar winter event, smaller in scale. Recommendations were made after that occurred, but nothing really came of it. Nothing was really made mandatory. How do you make sure that this does not happen again, that you have some mandatory requirements with TEEP? 
But Grover, I mean, the first thing we wanted to do and the first witness that we had was a meteorologist because, you know, we had to clarify what we, what we hear and, and what the facts were. And what we did hear from the meteorologist is this was nothing like 2011. I mean, this was closer to, um, you know, in the 80s, we had something close where Galveston froze. But, you know, we've heard that a lot. And literally, in fact, the outages, I mean, we were hearing testimony uh, on Friday that the outages were, you know, they were having to drop, when I say drop low, pull people off of the system, take away their electricity five times the level that we did in uh, 2011. So this was much more severe it was 254 counties, a much more difficult event to manage. But how do you make sure the recommendations, because there were recommendations made in 2011 involving winterization and other things, how do you make sure that that really happens this time around, that you really well, force the folks that, to do yeah, it? That's why, we, that's why we brought everybody in. And so what we found out is, you know, those those generators that were able to stay up and running, you know, they met those winterization. Uh, you know, winterization is not a quantitative number. That's one of the things I think we really need to look at. You know, when we talk about flood, we know if we talk hundred-year flood, uh, there's there's not a quantitative quantitative number on what winterization means. But what we found was winterization did occur, but the winterization was for, for example, we heard testimony on Friday. Uh, that they winterized to zero and they were minus 20. Uh, and so uh, this was a unique uh, weather event, but we as elected officials have to find that quantitative number. What specifics do we need to get to in order to make sure, as you said, this never ever happens again. And literally that's why we spent, uh, you know, collectively almost 30 hours in, in testimony making sure that we got every bit of the facts so that we're not making decisions on hearsay or what may, and, and nothing against the press, but it's not always right there. And we wanted to hear direct from the horse's mouth. We, we, uh, we brought in CEOs. We wanted the people that were making those decisions and who were going to be doing the internal analysis for those, everything uh, from the transmission companies to the generators, uh, up and down the line to the gas companies, up and down the line. We have an independent power grid. Is it time for the state to have some sort of power sharing agreement so there's backup if anything like this does happen again? Well, and, and see, that's another point, Julie, that we needed to get clarification on. The reality is we do have some interconnections. We were sharing on that. The reality is, though, those interconnections because this was uh, such an enormous event, uh, they they were needing that that power, they were needing that generation. So that's really what we were focusing on. Let's learn the true facts, um, and let's make sure that we know this as well as we can possibly possibly know it. Let's bring in the experts in every field and every entity that was impacted by this. Let's learn from them. Let's ask the questions, and we took our time. There were. I have no idea how many questions were uh, asked, uh, but trust me, it was plenty, and it was well worth the time to make sure we knew, that we know exactly what we're dealing with, and then we will go back and, and get recommendations on what we heard over the uh, Thursday and Friday. Senator, as you know, some Texans are facing ridiculously high uh, electric bills in the thousands of dollars. What relief is there for them? 
Yeah, Grummer, which is a great point. And so one of the things we learned in the testimony is literally, you know, over 95% of the citizens across the state of Texas, their bill is not going to change. Most people, when they sign up for a program, they sign up for a what's called a fixed rate bill. And it may be a two-year contract or one-year contract. Right. We heard, for example, uh, NRG, uh, one of the largest uh, retail providers in the state, they testified not a single one of our customers will see a price change. We have a couple of products on the market. Uh, we have where you can buy a wholesale number, which you know I looked the other day and that wholesale number at 130 was you're paying a penny a kilowatt. Well, that works until it doesn't. In a natural disaster like this, the pricing because of supply and demand escalates and uh, literally goes through the roof. And those are the small customer, I mean, the customers you talked about. And when I say, look, those, those customers are 45,000 of the 29 million people that we have in the state. Okay. To them, uh, and obviously significant, and we're p taking a lot of time on it, but what was happening, we were seeing a lot of that in the headlines. And so I wanted to get the numbers, all right, what are we talking about specifically here? How many customers? And those customers that were most heavily impacted with that wholesale rate where they were buying on wholesale was about 45,000 out of the 29 million people we have in the state. Then we have a variable rate where it shifts and it moves and they kind of uh, average the cost. That's another 350,000 people. So if you take those that we see so many of the stories written about, you're talking, um, you know, really less than 400,000 people, which is a huge number until you compare it with the 29 million and realize that the vast majority of the people under our system have that fixed rate plan that they should not see uh, the price of, of their utilities change. Senator, we appreciate you joining us. Thanks so much for being here. We know it was a busy week for you. I appreciate it. Thank you, Julie and Grover. Before North Texas even thawed out from the ice and snow two weeks ago, NBC5 Investigates was already digging into the state agencies responsible for the Texas power grid. Scott Friedman was in Austin Thursday and Friday for the hearings and discusses his reporting with Julian Gromer. Scott Friedman, thanks so much for being with us. We appreciate you. Hey, good to see you guys. So how was Austin? No marathon or anything. <laughs> Yeah, some late nights, uh, or at least one late night so far, and I think there's there's a lot more ahead probably before this is all over. Um, you know, we got there yesterday, and they had a witness list of about uh, 28 people to get through, and I think by 3 o'clock we were at number three in the Senate. So, um, yeah, moving really slow. But, there, you know, there's so many questions about all of this at so many levels that they're trying to sort out. Um, this is going to be a complicated one, not your typical hearing, you know, we see this this time of year where they're considering a specific bill. It's really a fact-finding mission to try to get to the bottom of this. Yeah, Scott, you 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 hit it on the head. There's so many questions. Are there any answers yet, um, other than the obvious that they they weren't prepared? Yeah, you know, I, th I think they're getting some, or, or at least they're revealing some spots where there are maybe more vulnerabilities than we even realized before this all happened. Um, you know, I mean, Gromer, I think obviously the, the overarching question here is the way this whole marketplace is designed, right? I mean, it was set up in a way where there was a big carrot out there, as, as one expert put it to me, you know, recently for these power producers to show up on cold weather days. And the carrot was you make a lot of money in the marketplace if your plant was ready to operate. 
the problem as it's appearing now is there there's really was no stick for those who didn't show up or to, or to encourage people, um, you know, who maybe weren't as prepared to show up, you know, it's a, in defense of some of the plant operators, they said yesterday, you know, we, we did what we, we know to do uh, to try to protect against the weather. This was a, a historic storm. And, and, you know, one of the operators said, you know, we, we saw things in our plants that we had never seen before because it got so cold for so long. But that being said, you know, I mean, there were no specific regulations in place where the state could hold anybody accountable to do X, Y, or Z, um, you know, to protect against winter weather. That obviously is going to get reworked now. I, I think, you know, we can pretty much safely say that by the end of this session, they will pass something that requires heavier winterization of these plants, or at least gives the agencies that could enforce those rules the leeway to create you know, some specific regulations, but I, you're right. I mean, I don't think we know exactly, you know, what, what broke, you know, is there a certain part that broke in these plants that accounts for 50% of the outages? Um, you know, today we heard from the, the railroad commissioner who was saying that, you know, and this, this one was really, I think was stunning. They were having trouble getting natural gas to, to electric plants that run on natural gas because the gas producers in West Texas didn't have electricity. And apparently nobody thought to work that out ahead of time that, you know, the places where we, we would need gas in a, in a cold weather event, that they would have power, that they would be a priority for, for having power. And so they had to on the fly figure out a way to get some of those gas producers back up and running, you know, at, at the well points even so they could deliver enough gas to, to try to, you know, get, get electricity flowing again. Now, what I found in the hearings, there was a lot of ERCOT and PUC kind of saying the other one was responsible for that. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, PUC um, chair was questioned about, you know, why didn't you oversee this agency more closely? You know, um, why, why didn't you do more to assure that we were ready for the winter? And, and one of her answers was, well, you know, the legislature didn't give me that much authority um, over them. And so there's, there's going to be some debate back and forth, we think, between ERCOT and PUC about, you know, that authority. And at the end of the day, I think, you know, lawmakers are going to have to make some decisions about how much authority they want to give uh, the PUC over ERCOT or just, you know, the whole ERCOT structure just need to be reformed. It's always comical to me, Scott, from the governor to, to the lawmakers. They all try to elude blame and shift it on, on someone else. And you can see through the hearings that they're trying to get a pound of flesh from ERCOT and, and, and the power producers. How much blame? Well, let me let me put it to you this. Do you think lawmakers are wary of, of how residents are viewing them after this this out this power outage situation? Oh, absolutely. No, I think they're, you know. I talked to some there who said, you know, I mean, they, they've had so many calls, angry calls from people, you know, and I think this is on, on both sides of the aisle, just constituents who said, you know, what, are you kidding me? I mean, how did we wind up in this situation? And, and at the end of the day, you know, Grummer, obviously the legislature, they're, they're the ones who write the rules. And if they didn't write the rules in a way that they gave anybody tools to enforce, then yeah, I mean, the blame is, is ultimately uh, some of it's going to fall back on the legislature. And I think that, you know, many of the, the members recognize that, you know, as for the governor, I mean, he participated, we know, in uh, a news conference leading up to this, you know, with ERCOT, where there were some uh, there was some messaging about, you know, the fact that the storm was coming. There were preparations that were made at the state operations center. I mean, I think there's still more questions to be answered on, on that side as well. Uh, there was one lawmaker today in a House hearing who said, you know, maybe we should have the governor here 
um, you know, to, to ask these questions. And so I, I think there are going to be there's going to be questions and fingers pointed in all directions here. The bug has to stop somewhere, right? Yeah, it is, but I think it is going to be complex in this one. I mean, I think well, you know, I'm interested to see, and I interrupted you guys both, and I'm sorry. Um, I'm interested to see because we're a state that is like, you know, we don't like to have a lot of regulations in this state. But there were no regulations here and there were no enforcement and look what happened. So where do you find that middle ground? You're right. You know, I mean, if, if we use the analogy of, of say the airline industry, right? If, if we said to the airlines, you know, all you, the only regulation here is, you know, you, you guys do what you, you think you need because, and you know, if your planes are in the air, you'll be making money. That's the incentive, you know, to follow the safety guidelines. I mean, we, the reason we haven't done that is obviously in, in the airline business, it's a high consequence event um, when things break down uh, you know, things can end very badly. And that's why that industry has been so heavily regulated. I'm not saying we need to go necessarily that far in, in regulating, um, you know, the electric production here. But, you know, this was a high consequence event at the end of the day. And I think that's a fundamental decision that's going to have to be made is, you know, how much, how much hands off are we willing to tolerate now that we've seen what can happen if there aren't more specific rules? Scott, it's springtime in Texas. When the weather warms up, when people get their pipes fixed and get their water running again and and everything back to normal, it, and, and, and I realize that some, for some folks who lost lives and lost family members, that's not really possible. But for the rest of them, when it gets back to normal, what are the chances that people forget this and, the, and, and whatever happens with lawmakers and the hearings and everything is less than what it should be because people's minds aren't on it anymore. You know, we have short memories. There's no doubt about it. And, and if you want proof of that, just look at what happened after 2011. We had a, you know, a similar situation. We wound up in rolling blackouts. We remembered it was the Super Bowl storm in yeah, Dallas. Yeah. You know, we were, we were featured all over the country as the place that you know, was not ready to handle snow and ice. We had power problems. And it was so funny, you know, this week, looking back at some of the comments that were made, different, um, different governor at that point um, and lieutenant governor, but a lot of the comments, you could have taken them and inserted them into a story this week about the things that are being said. We can't let this happen again. And, and what happened after that was the feds did an investigation and they said, hey, you know, we, you ought to step up the winter protection of, of these plants. And there were some changes that were made in Austin, but again, nothing, you know, they, they required, what they did was they required the plants to submit a plan. So right, the right. plant said, you know, we have a plan to protect ourselves against the winter. Um, but, you know, as my team, you know, reported very early on um, after, you know, this, this crisis started, they only surveyed a very small number. I think about, you know, 80 plants a year on average out of about 600 electric producers. And, you know, like there were no rules with any teeth to enforce on those. It was just, you know, looking at the plan and having a conversation with the plant operator about, you know, hey, you think you're doing everything you could here. Um, you know, uh, it, th that's what's that's what's being looked at now. And, and you're absolutely right, Gromer. I mean, we we clearly uh, did a few things after the last one and then we moved on. And that, that's a danger here. I, it was already 80 degrees in Austin the day before these hearings started. It makes you forget about 15 below pretty fast. 
Oh, well, I don't know. I'm not going to forget about 15 below. <laughs> um, listen, Scott, we know you were really busy this week, so we appreciate you taking a couple minutes for us and great work and keep us posted. Finally this week, Fort Worth Mayor Betsy Price. In early January, the city's longest tenured mayor announced she would not seek a sixth term in office. Price, who is 71, was the tax assessor in Tarrant County for 10 years before she ran for mayor in 2011. In her final address, Price discussed the current state of Fort Worth, her legacy, and the city's response to the COVID-19 pandemic. Here she is with Julian Gromer. Thank you so much for joining us, Mayor, and I hope it's not the last time. I hope it's not the last time too, Julie. It's great, always great to be with you and Gromer. I've always enjoyed interviewing with y'all. And we've always enjoyed having you. And your speech was emotional at times. How are you feeling now about your decision not to run again? You know, I feel good about it. It's very bittersweet. It was a tough decision to make, particularly during the middle of the pandemic and so many other things. Do you stay? Do you keep a steady hand? But there are other people that can continue what we've done and do a great job on it. And it's time to have some time with my family. Well, Mayor, we do know that obviously you made the office of mayor popular because there's so many people running to replace you. What do you think is needed in the next mayor and council and what kind of issues should they be, should they be focused on? What did you leave for them? You know, Grummer, we left a lot for them. We left healthy community. We left a big, robust community engagement with Steer Fort Worth. We just left major infrastructure that we've worked on. There's so much here and the growth in Fort Worth is incredible. I really think the next mayor better have a passion and the council members too. This is not a job for the faint of heart and it's not for somebody who wants to do it part time. You better be passionate about the job and ready to roll up your sleeves and really get down to brass tacks. Even though it's city manager style of government in a city this size and to continue that, you better be ready to roll. Let's turn to COVID now. Texas is receiving more federal support as the number of COVID cases go down. How do you stay on this track? Well, we've been talking to our federal officials, to our uh, state delegation. As the numbers go down, our hospital numbers are going down, our infection rates going down. As we put more vaccinations in people's arms, we're seeing the results. So we have to keep the pressure on our delegations, both nationally and state to continue sending us vaccines. And we have to get a great education campaign out so that everyone knows to go get vaccinated, to register and get on the list. Even if they're frustrated right now, they are gonna get worked in from that list. Mayor, it is now, you're now in recovery mode after that really horrible winter event. What is Fort Worth doing to help residents? I know you may have a a, a program to, to provide funding for plumbing repairs and all of that. But tell me, what, what's the city doing to help residents in need? We do. We've done so much from water distribution, food distribution, encouraging neighbors to check on each other. Now that most of the water mains are repaired, we're left with just people who might be without water from their own personal line breaks in their house. And I'm one of those. My house flooded and we still don't have water. We have cold water, no hot water. But people can contact neighborhood services if they still need water. But we have a new water assistance program, an emergency assistance program, and you can apply for up to $5,000 per household on that. And it, the means test is 80% of the average income. You have to be at 80% or below to qualify. And we'll get you 
repairs done or the money in your hand to pay if you've done the repairs within 10 days. And so it's a very robust program. We put $6.1 into it last Tuesday because people need help right now. So as you look back during all of your time, what do you believe is your greatest accomplishment, greatest pride? You know, I think my greatest pride is just raising the profile of Fort Worth and being Fort Worth's biggest cheerleader, getting out in the community. I don't think we've ever had a mayor before that was in the community as much as we are, engaging and listening to people. I hope people will say she was the people's mayor and she listened to us. So mayor, what are you gonna do next? Besides hang out with me and Julie for a while, what are you gonna do next? Well, well I'd love to hang out with you and Julie. If you'll come ride bikes with me, we'll have fun. Oh, I'm in. I'm gonna ride my bike, I'm gonna travel a little, and I'm gonna spend a lot of time with those six grandchildren. Are you gonna stay in politics? Or will you run for something else, you think? Is there something, another office You know, on I wasn't looking for, I wasn't looking for this job. It came looking for me, and if something else comes looking, I may take a look at it. But. You know, I grew up in a family that thought service before self, and I've always lived that way. And so I'll be involved somewhere, whether it's public or private, strictly volunteer, but I won't make it very long. I say six months downtime. My husband says I won't last a month. <laughs> Mayor, looking back, you, you were, what was the toughest period for you, the toughest issue, you think? Oh, you know, there, there's been many tough issues. I'll have to say... The one that still leaves me worrying was the first really big racial uh, social unrest we had with the Jacqueline Craig incidents. We did not handle it very well. It's my biggest regret. But the good news is I don't look back on regrets. I believe you learn from those things. And we learned and did so much better as the nation's social unrest issues came forward and after the tragic death of Tatiana Jefferson. The city's response was so much stronger and so much better. Fort Worth Mayor Betsy Price, thanks for joining us and don't let it be the last time. I won't. Thank y'all for always being there. You can watch Price's final State of the City address at NBCDFW.com. The Fort Worth mayoral election is May 1st. Thanks to State Senator Kelly Hancock, Fort Worth Mayor Betsy Price, and Scott Friedman for joining us this week. You can stay up to date on everything related to Texas politics at NBCDFW.com slash Lone Star Politics. We'll talk to you next week.